I just got back from this really wonderful midday hike. So for those of you who don't know, we're currently staying in this beautiful Airbnb here in the mountains in New Mexico. And it's literally like two or three minutes away from this incredible trail that runs through the forest and along a stream. And we've started cultivating this daily practice of taking a hike. And because the hiking trail runs along a stream, we also dip our feet in the cold water. And it's just so calming and invigorating. And I feel like doing this just really gets me in this really beautiful state to create and just show up as my best self throughout the day. I'm really being reminded of how important and how powerful nature is. So if you have the opportunity to even just get a little bit of nature into your everyday, I so recommend it. It's been such a game changer for me. And yeah, I'm just in a really lovely state right now because I just got back from this hike. So I'm just excited to share this energy with you. And I'm also really looking forward to sharing today's episode with you which is a really special one to me because as I've shared with you before, one of my main intentions with this podcast is to promote the message that creativity doesn't only play a role in the arts and that you can live a life connected to your creative spirit, even when your day-to-day might not look that creative from an outsider's perspective. Today's guest, who is my dear friend Maria, is an incredible example of that. She works as a senior PR and media officer for policy and campaigns at an international development organization called Sightsavers, which is a charity working to prevent avoidable blindness, support equality for people with disabilities, and advocate for change. And Maria is one of the most creative people that I know. She sets such an amazing example that it's still possible to remain connected to your creativity even when you're working in a nine-to-five. Although I will say that she very deliberately crafted a four-day work week for herself so that she could devote her Fridays to her creative endeavors. And we're going to get into how she manifested that for herself and also what she gets up to during her Friday makery, as she calls it. Other than that, you'll also hear how she really pours her creative energy into the work that she does with Sight Savers, which I feel goes to show that you can remain creatively activated in all areas of your life, whether you're working on your day job or whether you're tending to your personal creative endeavors. So that's also just really inspiring and empowering to listen to. 
Also, as a little fun fact about this episode, Maria and I have actually been friends since kindergarten. So you'll definitely catch us sharing some laughs and silliness during today's episode. And overall, she's just one of the funniest people that I know and has this fantastic sense of humor. So I'm just really looking forward to your day being filled with some laughs and smiles as you listen to her speak. And also a really important programming note. Make sure you listen all the way until the very end so that you can learn all about Maria's obsession with gherkins or pickles, as we call them here in the States. It's a very important part you definitely don't want to miss. All right, my friends, I'm going to stop babbling on right now. And I'm so looking forward to you enjoying this beautiful episode with the compassionate, vibrant, and hilarious Maria. So I want to begin by saying that it's really special to have you on the show, Maria, because I have conversations with a lot of people who feel that their creative life is quite limited because they're working within a more traditional nine-to-five structure. And I feel that you set such a bold and beautiful example that creativity can still very much be a part of your life, even while you're working in a nine-to-five. And I know you were a little hesitant to come on today, but I'm just really stoked to have you here. So welcome. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Bay. I really appreciate that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I would say it it can take a while to get to a point where you're working on something that you feel is your creative passion and you get up to that uh, point within a nine to five job. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that's a huge compliment. Thank you. And I, I really love your show. So I'm so delighted that you've had me on. <laughs> Likewise. Um, and I definitely want to get into talking about your work, which is as a senior PR and media officer for policy and campaigns at an international development organization called Sight Savers. Yeah. Um, but just so the listeners get a sense of who you are, in a nutshell, how did you get to where you are today? Um, well, it's quite hard to put in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> I had a feeling. Yeah, I'm sure you get that answer a lot. Um, yeah, and it's kind of I, a stupid I, question on my end, but... No, not at all, not at all. Um, I'd say I'd say in a nutshell, um, I knew that I loved writing. Um, I knew that I was deeply passionate about human rights in general. Um, and I knew that I wanted to combine them both. Um, and even right from the beginning of graduating from, or even before I graduated university, doing an English a degree, English literature degree, you know, I was consciously thinking about what direction would allow me to combine those interests um, to achieve some kind of impact. Um, that's that's how I got here in a nutshell. The actual journey itself is winding, but the intention um, was pretty much that as a thread running through it. 
right now you are pouring a lot of your creative energy into the work that you're doing with Sightsavers, um, which is an international charity working to prevent avoidable blindness, support equality for people with disabilities, and advocate for change. And you've manifested some really powerful uh, projects and changes as part of that work. So can you share a little bit more about the work that you're doing now and any particular moments that stand out? Yeah, sure. Um, So I guess the work we're doing right now, I mean, COVID-19 has changed an awful lot about the direction that our campaign Equal World was going in from 2019 until lockdown. Um, So basically in 2019, we launched the Equal World campaign, um, which is calling for people with disabilities to be included in all areas of life, um, including education, employment, um, the ability to participate fully in social and political life. and last year, the, the focus was on actually targeting the United Nations um, to create a disability framework. Um, we believe that disability inclusion is a very long ignored um, part of the diversity conversation. Um, and that includes even you know, large international bodies um, such as the UN, uh, where you would expect perhaps things to be a bit further along, um, you know, by sort of 2020. Um, so, you know, the campaign was basically launched across um, 14 countries around the world. Um, each country had its own call to action for its own government. And then we had the overlying um, uh, call to action to the UN as well. Uh, this year, <laughs> things have changed so radically as a result of COVID-19. We now have a petition running actually at the moment, which closes next Wednesday. Um, and it's moving that conversation forward. Uh, we have a disability rights framework um, that's recently been created by the UN. And we're basically calling for that to be applied and for people with disabilities to be considered more fully um, within the COVID-19 response and also its subsequent uh, recovery. Um, so all that sounds very technical, um, <laughs> which I suppose it is, you know, as a, as a beginning line. But a big part of my job is um, finding the human stories uh, that tell this narrative in a way that people are going to understand. You know, people who might have absolutely no connection with the UN whatsoever. Perhaps they've never really considered disability inclusion as a human rights issue. Perhaps they've sort of you know, when you say disability, it might conjure up other images in people's minds. Um, you know, so so a lot of my role is getting people to talk about their personal experiences of having a disability, of the ways in which they're finding that the world um, consistently and routinely does not include them, despite the fact that they are human too. Um, and, and getting those stories out into the mass media, whether that be um, through photography, working with photographers, or writing comment pieces, or through more traditional press releases, um, or media interviews. Um, so, I mean, that's a big focus and area of my work. Um, I, do, I do do a fair amount in eye health as well, you know, naturally working in a charity called Sightsavers, as you'd expect. 
Um, but yeah, generally with my work, it's following uh, more of the policy side rather than the fundraising um, call to action. So in a way, it's just hearing you speak, I almost feel that in a way you're a story gatherer and a storyteller. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's um, completely it, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Which is interesting yeah. because um, you did originally want to become a writer. So mm-hmm. I can see quite clearly how that has, I mean, and you are a writer. Um, yeah. it, it's interesting how that has translated um, into your job now. Yeah, totally. I mean, I suppose it, it's funny because, you know, as you say, my original path was that I wanted to become a writer. And I suppose you know, I always loved writing stories growing up, you know, I and, and poems, um, both really. Um, I, I, I guess I found that when I went to university and I studied English literature, there was a sort of expectation that you're in a way supposed to be writing something grand and you're supposed to be writing something about yourself and your innermost feelings you know I mean when you read sort of like modernist texts and post-modernist texts there's a lot about the internal world and actually that kind of switched me off um, writing prose um, for a really long time because I wasn't really as interested in my own thoughts and feelings I think what always drove me with uh, to write was um, an interest in trying to imagine myself walking in the shoes of somebody else um, you know and it was sort of looking it was looking outside of myself and I suppose maybe reading so many texts and analyzing so many of them and um, having these skewed ideas about what modern literature was supposed to mean um, to some extent sadly kind of killed <laughs> killed my artistic voice for writing prose um I've sort of kept up poetry over the years because I feel that um naturally if I want to write about something happening internally I can do it through poetry um but it's not what ever interested me with prose and and so I I think actually then thinking about journalism and thinking about PR I realized there was this amazing opportunity to meet people who had had you know completely different life to my own um, different viewpoints that I could learn things from who could teach me and others so much more than I could come up with by myself and I suppose also it's um, trying trying to be an ally in what they're accomplishing within their own context within their own journey in some small way just by um, you know them giving me the opportunity to interview them, get their thoughts and feelings down and put it in a structure which I know that media outlets are more likely to be interested in and accept. Um, and, you know, that's sometimes problematic because you're you're almost mediating something. It would be a lot better if these stories just found their way to a wider audience without me playing the middle woman. <laughs> But, um, you know, but if, if it's some small way that I can do something, well, I mean, I enjoy it and there's no better 
feeling than when you've written something for someone that's deeply personal to them or that they feel strongly about and you send the first draft back and they're happy with it like for me that's actually the same kick that I used to get out of writing prose creatively but actually a little bit a little bit more of a kick because I sort of it's nice to see how that energizes someone not just that they see their own words on paper but that they've actually been listened to as well if I'm honest as well like um I suppose I suppose I like being surprised Mm. and I think the um, if if I stop surprising myself um (laughs) if I start surprising myself creatively I get bored very quickly um you know and one of the things I love about being around other people and actually being able to ask the kind of questions that you need to ask you know when you're writing about um them or their their perception on something is is that the answers they give you can sometimes completely flip uh the assumptions that you had before you spoke to them you know um so yeah I think that doesn't that does sort of like stir things up for me creatively that does get me excited and then sort of thinking about where those words that they've said might fit to to reach that wider audience it's a little bit like a treasure hunt you know I I think that's yeah it's something that I I do enjoy actually is that you know that pursuit of um of surprise and I think you find that in when people feel that they can speak authentically about their own truth That's beautiful. And I love that there's almost like this element of having to let go of control because you don't know what someone else is going to share. You don't know what they're going to give you. Um, That's why it's so important to stay open to whatever it may be. And then just using that as the treasure that it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes you can start thinking, okay, this is going to be, you know, we need, we need to place this comment piece my colleague in Nigeria, whether he's agreed to work with me to get something out. So, you know, you sort of think it's going to be bish, bash, bosh. And then you actually talk to him and you realise, oh, no, 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 actually, that's <laughs> you know, the, the thing that I thought was going to be the most interesting actually isn't. You know, maybe maybe this other thing is what's different about this that we can write, you know. Um, so, yeah, definitely. And I think, I think that's the thing with... Um, creativity in PR it's very much about seizing opportunities Mm. um and spotting them as they come your way I mean I'm a strong believer in planning I love having a plan a a plan b a plan c because one of them has to work um (laughs) I love I love being able to have that structure but I think once when you've created that structure then you're ready to embrace those surprises because it's a lot easier to amend a plan then not have a plan you know it's a lot easier to say okay we thought the situation was going to be this now we're in the country we're actually talking to people we're going to need to change the plan but at least then you know you've gone in there with some structure you can change the structure um to fit to fit the story a little bit better and maybe unlock opportunities that you wouldn't even have considered before you started I love that you just said that because I feel that's such a common theme in many different types of creative work. Like in my theater training, something that we were always taught is, you know, you do all this preparation for an audition or a role, but then once you finish preparing, you kind of have to throw it 
out the window <laughs> and like trust that that structure is there to support you, but then mm. to also remain open to whatever else may come in. And there's always something else that's going to come in. Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, cause I guess, you know, a lot of the acting you do probably follows a, a script, doesn't it? You have to learn yeah. certain words, but it's, I suppose like if your co-actor decides to deliver that line with a slightly different emotion, that's a kind of, that could feel like it's come completely out the side if you've always, you know what I mean? It's sort of that newness of. Yes. And, and yeah. exactly to put it more concretely, for example, the script could be the structure and learning your lines as part of learning that structure. And of course you're not going to completely go rogue and, um, you know, <laughs> make up your own lines, but um Yes, exactly. And I think, yeah, sometimes the going out of the structure can be subtle and nuanced, like you just said, like um, finding a different emotion or um, I don't know what that would look like in, in your work, but yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, it can be about finding different emotions, yeah. um, you know, for sure, because you're sort of you know, over email, you might talk to someone and the messages that they're saying are totally in line with the messages that your organization is saying and you're saying. And then you actually meet them in person, and you talk to them and it's like they're saying they're saying the same sort of lines, but actually with a completely different emotion, you know, or mm. a completely different um, way of saying the same thing that kind of tells you a bit more about how they came to what they thought or felt so um trying to think of um of an example like like for example um you know we were talking about um how COVID-19 is affecting people with disabilities um and and the role that the media has to play in in shaping that you know one of one of my colleagues um recently wrote um wrote an email um in a in a staff conversation we were having and you know he basically said I'm I'm tired of the of the narrative of oh don't worry it only affects people who are really ill or have some sort of underlying health condition because he sort of felt well I kind of fit into that box and <laughs> I don't appreciate um that mm. sort of flippant that flippancy with my life and that flippancy with with the health of all these people um who who that could have serious impact on um and you know in in the in the email it was very sort of um uh you know short subdued and then you know I sort of actually talked to him and there was just this passion and and also a lot actually a lot of anger there that I that um you know was constructive anger um but I I thought well that that's actually really great that's fantastic that's something that needs to feed into um the energy of the piece even even though we have to be a bit careful sometimes with um you know uh, if he's writing from us as an organization actually capturing that emotion it breathes new life into old words sometimes you know it's um i think i think that's basically it it's breathing new life into a message that we're all trying to repeat with one voice but actually it's, me it's many voices and it's trying to bring that diversity out because two people can go through the same experience and come out of it feeling differently. And I think it's that that sometimes can draw readers in and make them interested in that person and the issues that they're talking about. 
That makes such sense. And the word that also comes to me as you're speaking is humanizing. I feel like as soon as you bring um, emotion into something and and, and into words, it it humanizes them and people can connect with them more. Yeah, totally. Because I I think that's one thing that we all have in common. We all, we all feel things, you know? Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, that's, like you might not you might not agree with something or you might not um have heard of a particular problem before but if you know what it feels like to feel negated or you know what it feels like to feel overjoyed because something happened you know that's that's so happy you were given some sort of leg up at some point you didn't expect um these are the kind of emotions that I think connects people with each other and yeah it's that it's that humanization that reminds people yeah these these are these we're all people at the end of the day you know and that's I think that's how you draw on people's sense of fairness is that human to human um care and contact and I get self-identification with that person I absolutely agree with you and I feel like that also creates connection which I feel like is such an important topic especially right now in in the world that we're living in literally right now where Mm. um, I feel like the environment is so ripe for separation because there's so many different um, opinions on what is going on but I think ultimately what is going to bring us the most strength is if we can find um, connection as much as possible. Completely yeah completely um I mean, I don't know if um, I don't know if this is the kind of um, message you guys are getting where you are, Leia. But mm. um, here in the UK, there's a real emphasis on kindness um, mm. and how it needs to play a central role in um, the way that we treat each other um, to sort of put our judgment, um, judgmentalness. <laughs> try to put that to one side for a moment and remember that everyone's going through something difficult in some way. Some are definitely going through more difficulties than others. Um, But it's just that central thing of just, just remember to be kind, you know, just remember, um, you know, like, like you said, really to have, remember to have that connection with other people because these are such polarizing times and, you know, we, we can't really afford to be, um, I suppose not not finding those bridges and not building those bridges with each other. Yeah, I so agree. I so agree. Um, actually, another question I have, which was just coming to me as you were speaking before, which I hadn't prepared for, but it sounds like in the work that you do, a big piece is also about creating a safe space, which is something that I have found has just been so important in a creative context and for creative expression. Um, And it seems like also in your case, in order for people to really feel like they can openly share their stories, they, they need to feel safe. So Mm -hmm. if that resonates at all with you, how do you create that safe space for people? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's um, that's it's such a good question, Leia, because I think um, I think it's quite I think it's 
suppose it's taking your time with people. You know, I think that's one of the most important things you can do is really take your time to get to know the person. You know, if you if you want somebody to really open up and tell you how they're doing, um, st- just start by asking how their day was <laughs> or, you know, yeah. questions. <laughs> Questions that might seem completely trivial. It's just about getting to know each other a little bit. And um, I suppose it's being, it's allowing them to talk as much as possible, Um, you know, and and knowing that they're not going to be judged for what they have to say, Um, knowing that they're going to see the first draft of what you're going to write, I think helps as well, that they're in control of the timetable. Because I think, I think it's um it's a bit of a challenge sometimes when you've got um when you've got a deadline for an editor um you've really got to meet that deadline if you're going to get the coverage but I think the most important thing is that um as as an organization we put um we put people first I've never not hit a deadline but what I do do is I would build a lot of extra time, as much extra time in as I can. And if I'm going to prioritize something, I'll prioritize that initial conversation first um, in order to build that time in. Because really, it's getting that it's getting that fine tuning right so that that person can feel co- like confident that they they are actually the center of the story. They are the most important um, person in this um you know and I think I think once when you once when you get to that stage it actually becomes quite easy to get something done quickly because you build a trustful sort of working relationship yes it's a personal relationship but it's it needs to be a personal working relationship um and it allows you to move things more quickly because um there's a bit more of um I suppose there's a bit more they're able to make decisions more quickly um than they would if they were uncomfortable um I mean actually one of the things I had to learn with with site savers as opposed to organizations I've worked with in the UK is how you build a safe space with people on the other side of the world with a translator I've had to build safe spaces using two translators you wow. know <laughs> Yeah. So you know, <laughs> like, and it's like it sounds like the safe space is being built virtually rather than in a physical capacity. Yeah, yeah. Often it's often to it's being extent. built. Yeah, totally. You know, sometimes it's building a safe space over the phone, and I think sometimes with that, it's having a laugh with someone or asking them what they're up to this weekend or, or whatever. It's investing that time, and it probably doesn't sound very professional. If you're sat next to me and I'm there going, oh, that's brilliant. You went to the cinema, but it's it's taking a genuine interest. <laughs> um, it does help. Um, but also, like, when you meet people face to face and you're actually flying to one of the countries and you've got, you know, a photographer there and you've got camera people there and you've got translators there. And then you've got the program staff there and the drivers there and another colleagues there. That's a lot of people. And I think it's like recognizing that what it means for you to visit that person means something very different to you than what it means to them. And I think it's kind of, I think, you know, sometimes you find people can be very keen to say, come on, we're we're here to do this, this, this and this. We need to get the job done. But 
it's got it's got to start with the participant it has to start with the person that you're here to meet as being the vip um and trying to meet them and their energy level where they're at you know as much as you can trying to um be really transparent about you know what you're here to do checking that they're comfortable again because they've probably been asked before you know by the program staff how would you feel if they did this and this but that's before they met you you know <laughs> that's before the that's before the day you've you've arrived in their space um with all these weird people um <laughs> <laughs> eagerly looking to meet them it's it's saying okay let's just let's just hit the pause button and spend an hour and we're just going to chat and sit down with you wherever you're at and you know sometimes um sometimes you find that people who like this happened for us in Mozambique last year um it was a really challenging trip um not least because there was a cyclone slowly coming in towards where we were so we're having to keep our eye on that at the same time yeah it was quite it was a bit stressful I'm not gonna lie (laughs) um but like you know um some people you'd meet and they'd immediately be quite warm and jokey and open and com- seemingly comfortable around you. Um, but, you know, this particular couple who I completely fell in love with and we ended up doing the mo- most of the filming and the photography with them um, was this elderly couple. Um, and, you know, when we first met them, they were very, very quiet, very closed off um you know they they were basically a couple who they'd gone blind with cataract in both eyes together roughly you know within the same span of years um they were both almost totally blind they were really i mean we're not talking about rich community we're talking about you know a, um, a community where people are living very hand to mouth but this couple were struggling to the extent that they needed neighbors to bring them food to bring them water to supply you know everything for them we're not talking about an environment where people who are blind can find that level of empowerment to live independently so you know when we first met them i was sort of looking at the videographer um who's just this lovely guy and you know the photographer and we were looking at each other and sort of as i was chatting to them over the hour and kind of going you know, maybe we should just call it a day with these guys and let them get on. They were going to have their cataract surgeries either way. So, you know, it's a thing, maybe it's not appropriate actually, because they seem quite, you know, dejected. Um, and then I, I sort of got to the point and I went, look, thank you so much for your time. Um, I've, I'm just a bit concerned that, you know, you're, maybe you're not feeling um, very well, la la la. Um, and then they told me we haven't actually eaten or had anything to drink for a day. Um, and we, we don't know, we don't know where, um, you know, we don't know where the person is who usually brings us our food and water, but that's why they were so tired and so, um, you know, dejected. <laughs> and it, I mean, it should have been obvious to us straight away. It wasn't because we didn't make that assumption, but you know once when we got that out of the way and said okay that's fine let's let's definitely get them some food you know let's let's get let's you know we need also they need their blood sugar to be high enough before they have a cataract surgery you know we can't we can't 
um, expect that they'll be able to have surgery if their you know condition is like this yeah. so sort of sorting that out and then and then I thought you know what sod it I'm sorry <laughs> that was quite rude I thought you know what um <laughs> I thought you know what I'm just going to I'm just going to ask them about how they met I'm just gonna I just want to know about them you know um how did you meet what was it that first attracted you to her and suddenly they this amazing sense of humor came out of nowhere um you know well I saw him and I just thought oh he looks a bit lovely and you know I saw you know I saw her and she looked gorgeous and so I sort of showed her my drumming and you know the the gentleman Gordain you know he's a really good dancer apparently and you know she thought he looked really you know lovely and attractive and um they had some really sweet really funny stories and I think actually they we got immediately we were all laughing and just really I mean this was even before we were you know the food had arrived um to get them fed but they suddenly just woke up and lit up and um we realized they you know they'd be great subjects for this video and they seemed really keen to be in it and they seemed happy to be in it and I think um you know I think it's just I think it's just about that I think it's about getting people to to talk about things other than the issue or the problem as well it's it's sort of like mm-hmm. they're more than just yeah. people people are more than just the challenges that they're facing you know that there's, there's a whole backstory there there's a whole um gamut of things other things you can talk about and I think um I think it's so important to um delve into that and for them to get to know you as well um but they were so funny Leia I mean like there was a point where we were able to get another translator in who could translate directly with the local language to English as opposed to having to go through a second translator. <laughs> so, oh you know, the conversation <laughs> the conversations got a lot quicker. Um and uh you know, there was there was a sort of uh there's a point where I realised that they're actually really enjoying shocking me, this couple, you know, they really, <laughs> you know, you know how sometimes like your grandma or someone, they'll tell you, you know, oh, he used to give me a slap on the bum or something like this. And you find yourself going, oh, my God, you know, and they just think it's hilarious. And um, they were quite enjoying that whole, you know, dynamic. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it, it got so hard to get the translator to stop laughing while they were talking because she was getting it all first. <laughs> laughing her head off like absolutely laughing her head off and then I'm there saying you know Kanda you've got to stop doing that because it's picking it up on the mic you know we're gonna we're gonna have this image of like this elderly couple <laughs> telling us their story and then this random laughter coming from the side I was like you have to stop laughing you know so we're sort of like literally she's like holding my hand like squeezing it she's trying really hard not to laugh while she's listening to this couple crack their jokes um but yeah I think um I, I don't know. I've, I've rambled on and on, but um, I think I think creating that safe space is really about you know just investing the time and um, uh, you know being transparent about how you're going to work, getting that consent, and you know I think that thing about consent and making sure people are comfortable—that's something you should be doing over and over and over again in these interviews because um, you are talking to people who are at like some of the most difficult moments of their life um often 
you know, going for a cataract surgery when you've never left your village before is scary. So I think that that process of checking people are comfortable, checking that they're happy um, before you do something, talking through the process. Um, you don't want to be doing it so often that they sort of stop connecting with you as a person, but you need to do it often enough that they know that they're in control of what we're doing and what goes out. And any time that they don't seem in control, we just stop, you know, um, if, if, yeah, that's, that's basically how I see creating a safe space. Um, that was a really beautiful answer to that question. And thank you for sharing that story as well. I feel like that was a really powerful example of that. That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm giggling nervously because, uh, yeah, I know that was a very long answer. Um, but uh, it's one of the examples that really, you know, stood out to me from last year. Um, I'm glad you shared that story because I think you had also, also mentioned it in the questionnaire. And I'm, I'm so glad you shared it on the show. I think it's such a beautiful one. <laughs> yeah. So pivoting the conversation a little bit, um, I definitely wanted to spend a part of this conversation talking about the amazing work that you do out in the world. And I know that there's also this other side to Maria. The job titles that you listed in the pre-show questionnaire that I shared with you are covert painter, poet, and shameless all-rounder. Can <laughs> you share a little bit more about that side of yourself? Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so um, I do do a lot of drawing and painting and I do write poetry I say that really squeamishly and with a lot of embarrassment because I do it I do it you know in in the dark of night you know I do it I do it <laughs> secretly <laughs> you know I do usually well actually yeah usually if I'm writing a poem it usually is right in the dark of night it's usually at midnight when I can't sleep and I get up and I you know I think right it's time to write a poem and there's this like manic energy about it when I'm when I'm doing a poem um but yes I actually decided to work four days a week um quite a while ago um I do like a 90 hour contract at Sight Savers and it's so that I can have an entire Friday to myself to draw and paint and faff about all day literally faff about all day not have any restrictions not have any um, mission beyond um, making and uh, I, I guess like I guess for me it's it's um, something that came out more recently you know I used to love painting and drawing at school and I, I took it up to A level and I sort of decided oh I'll, I'll do English literature instead because there's probably more ways that I could actually earn a living doing that than than doing art um, and it's sort of later on, I suppose, in, in my career and in my life that I've been able, I've been very lucky to be allowed this by Sight Savers because um, it's really allowed me to, it's really allowed me to sort of go nuts. And, you know, <laughs> um, usually I like to, to do portraits. Um, I've got a very specific thing that I try to show when I do portraits. Um, 
And it's not entirely disconnected to what I do with PR, but it is completely different in so far as I'm not having to please anyone other than myself. I don't, <laughs> I don't have lots of stakeholders. I don't need to be particularly organized about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's basically um, painting and drawing portraits. Um, and when it comes to poetry, it's sort of, um, I suppose it's just capturing a feeling or an essence or a moment in time usually. Um, I still haven't really quite gotten into the kind of prose writing that I'd like to do. But I think if I just keep whacking things out uh, privately and secretly at home, then then eventually, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll be able to write properly again and actually like write some short stories or take it in in that other direction as well. This is so beautiful. And as far as the writing goes, to me, it almost seems like you're pouring a lot of your, your writing creative energy into your work. So it's like that energy is going there. Um, mm. And, and who knows, maybe one day when you're, when you're working, you know, somewhere else, perhaps that will want to get channeled into writing that you do for yourself. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, possibly. I think, I think though, it's funny, because I, I really see the two as being distinct in so far as, you know, when, um, when I, when I write something creatively, um, I, I can really create anything, but there's something to me about this, the sanctity of somebody else's experience, mm. um, that I don't, I never want to encroach on it. Like I might try to find, I might try to find some new words to convey what they're saying and check that they're comfortable with those words. Um, you know, if, if I think it's appropriate, um, but I couldn't like, for example, I could never imagine like the life of that couple that I met last year in Mozambique. I could never, I could never begin to imagine what it would be like to to sort of have that experience and you know obviously my job is to try to get people to imagine a little bit and to try to get them to uh, put themselves in that couple's shoes yeah. but I almost I don't feel I can give myself the permission to rewrite their story in any way other than what I sort of was able to gather in that sort of 10 days or two weeks that I was there um you know whereas like when I have tried to to rewrite short stories what I'm often doing is I'm going back to folk stories and storytelling and I'm going back maybe to uh like classic Greek literature and reimagining those tales because I think with those tales there's a tradition of telling and retelling and you know who who knows if uh if uh Achilles or um someone like Little Red Riding Hood ever existed you know who knows where those stories really came from we don't really there's so much mystery around them so I don't really feel any scruples in grabbing those stories and maybe like maybe they're infused with some of the experiences I've had um but I almost keep them quite in a different cupboard in my mind <laughs> to the trips or to the phone calls that I have at work that's beautiful. I love this. And I actually also 
I've never done this before on the show, but you wrote something in the questionnaire that I gave you that really stood out to me. So would it be okay with you if I read that to yeah. you and then had you comment on it? Go for it. I don't remember <laughs> what I wrote. So yeah, I hope I'm not going to embarrass you here. That would be hilarious. It would be hilarious. Go on. No worries. All right. So here it is. It's, it's a little bit long. So just bear with me. Yeah. I guess creativity doesn't always look the way you think it will. I used to hate anything practical. I even used to diss something by saying it looks too practical, i.e. where's the flair or fun in that? But I guess I learned that actually getting concrete and practical, getting down to the specifics of how you're going to make something manifest is the key ingredient. I'm only able to start painting and drawing now because I've dropped the idea that it means I'll necessarily have to go insane or starve to death to do it. That's not the way it has to be. And indeed, for most of us in the world who also have to earn a living, you can only keep that flame alive and get stuff done if you bring plenty of structure and logic to the party. I love that, Maria. Oh. Well, I, I agree with it. And then I remember it's because I wrote it. So you, know, you, expect, <laughs> <laughs> you think, well, yeah, I, I, w- I should agree with it, really. Um, but yeah, I do, that, that has been actually the biggest journey for me with this um, whole creative process is, um, you know, I suppose like the hardest realisation at university was that I wasn't magically somehow going to be able to feed myself using words and colour and line that I actually had to at some point um, grow up and (laughs) earn a living um, that would sustain me and pay rent and that I also had to have downtime, I had to have a social life, I had to have family life and that those things, those things are absolutely necessary to sustaining yourself you know to being able to do what you do every day and I suppose like I feel that in my adult life the creative journey started with with a compromise which sounds ridiculous but I genuinely believe that I'd be able to do writing and painting and art and interior design or whatever else I decided anytime I wanted and I think I think um actually having a nine to five job has been wonderful you know being able to um being able to put yourself in situations that take you well out of your comfort zone and knowing that you have to deliver them in a in a sort of like practical logical structured way that gets the job done is hugely rewarding and some of that creative process is actually about designing how that's going to happen it's about the um, creativity you apply to problem solving um problem solving and sometimes these problems look so abstract you know how, how do you how do you move something forward how do you get something noticed you have to break things down into smaller steps and you have to get organized basically Um, And part of getting organized is also planning in when you're going to have time to be creative, when you're not going to have meetings, when you're not going to take phone calls. But knowing that that time is finite, it actually lights a fire under you um, to get things done. It gives you a little shot of adrenaline (laughs) 
you know, to, to know, right, I've literally got two hours to get a first draft of this ready and it needs to be good. And, and sometimes actually having that in place, um, it gives you a momentum and a push that maybe I, maybe I wouldn't have had, you know, if I, if I had, you know, if I had the privilege of Shelley and Lord Byron where I could just sort of <laughs> bum around on holiday. And not, not <laughs> saying, sorry, that's a massive diss for like two amazing like writers. That's a really harsh diss. But, you know, people <laughs> like like people who traditionally produced art and literature in the olden days. They were often the sort of landed gentry, you know, they, they didn't they didn't really um, not saying they didn't struggle. Obviously, they did. <laughs> I'm really digging a hole here. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think I think most of us don't have the option to be able to um, begin and end with that pure creativity and that pure process. And even, you know, you look at artists who um have delivered beautiful and powerful work and you know a lot of them had to do that by commission they probably had their own ideas about what it was that they you know wanted to paint on on the roof of some chapel or um on a canvas but at the end of the day um they were also having to use that creativity (laughs) to feed themselves and also to be able to feed their work you know in order to be able to actually produce the things and develop in the way that they wanted to that they they needed to be able to also um bite the bullet and find ways to get paid to do what they love to do even if it meant compromising on some of the ideas they might have had otherwise you know and for for me it's always been a bit of a uh, a sort of push and pull process and I suppose that's why my Fridays have become so sacred because it's the one time that I can I can just focus purely on what I want to develop artistically. Um, and that's just such an immense freedom. I mean, I, I know that I'm lucky. I know that not everyone has that opportunity. Um, so I just, you know, I just really, I'm grateful for that. And I really just <laughs> try to make the best use of the time I can without pressurizing myself in the process. So for anybody who is in a similar situation as you and working a nine to five and is also curious about creating this opportunity of a three day weekend, do you have any advice to share with, with someone like that? And I know everybody's situation is different, but just from your experience. Um, Yeah, I would say, I, I suppose I would say my experience, would be to consider asking for it from your employer you know I mean I know that can be really scary and hard and I know that not every employer is going to look at that favorably and you'll have to judge whether you're whether your boss whether their boss whether the culture that you're working in is going to understand and respect that you are 100% committed to what you're doing in work but that you also have another area that is important to you that you'd like to develop um so I would say you know consider that but I wouldn't you know don't in the first instance think I'll never ask for that maybe this job you won't ask for that but maybe the next job you might look for um another company culture if that if it's really that important to you you can you can perhaps look for opportunities you could also suggest perhaps compressed hours you know that's something I'm doing and 
And I do find that actually I work much more effectively on my job when I do a four day week because I can't afford to waste time. <laughs> you know, so yeah. you sort of work with a greater urgency and with more focus on those four days. And some employers recognize that some employers um, are willing to consider that. Um, so, I mean, that's the, that's the first bit of advice I'd have. Um, the second bit of advice would be, um, if you can't do that, then, um, you know, maybe try to join a class um, that you actually genuinely look forward to and that you get excited about. I don't think it really matters too much what kind of class you join. The idea is to say if, you, say if you've been creatively dormant for a while, maybe pick something that is a bit random that you've always wanted to try, you know, because it's kind of about um it's kind of about stirring the pot a little bit it's about getting excited and sort of quickening that creative energy again you know so something I did was I went to a sculpture class at um this um you know art school in London and it was only once a week and it's sort of you know in the evenings um and I was hopeless at it I was absolutely hopeless at working to make clay sculptures they were hideous but I really enjoyed it <laughs> you know I really enjoyed making these ugly sausage sausage shaped figures um because it, it was so different to anything I'd done before you know I've, I've done like life drawing with with nudes and all this and suddenly you're doing the same thing but with clay and a 3d object and it was an absolute car crash but it was so much fun um and it got me thinking I think I think also like it's recognizing that you might not be doing something exactly as you intended, but actually doing something completely different will change the way that you see the other things you're working on. So, you know, working in clay and making a mess of it did get me thinking more about, well, what's going on behind my drawing? You know, thinking a bit more about the 3D shape, thinking more <laughs> about the, um, yeah, the composition of the body. Um, but it, do something random. Um, the point, I think the point of creating is to create to some extent. If it's for yourself, if it's for you, the point is to create. It's, it, and it, it's, about, it's about just making things. It's about carving out a bit of time, even if you've got um, a few evenings or one evening or, you know, all the time we spend watching telly, could we listen to something that's like telly and is interesting and do art you know it's about trying to find those opportunities to mess around and you know I think I think creativity is a process of embracing failure and just just picking picking up whatever you're doing and just doing it um and not worrying so much about getting the perfect time or the perfect moment that you you miss any moment <laughs> just just see what moments you've got and just just make something <laughs> that is absolutely beautiful and I feel like there's so many things I could still say and ask about what you just shared um but we are at time and I didn't want to deprive you of your quick fire round because I know you were excited I'm so excited I love a quick fire round <laughs> so let's begin Okay. Okay. What is your favorite creativity inspiring snack? Ooh. Um, oh God. Oh God. I'm so lazy with food when I'm being creative. 
something that's going to keep me going. Bananas, bananas. Perfect. When is your peak creative time? In the morning, afternoon, evening, or at night? Morning and night. I love it. Two opposites. <laughs> Burning both ends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gherkins or olives? <gasps> Leia. <laughs> it's like trying to make me choose between my mum or dad. I love both. Um, I think gherkins because they're just zo- they're so zesty. They're so zesty. And you so glad nothing has changed. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. <laughs> For context to the listeners, Maria and I have been friends since we were like I think four or five. Yes. And she has always been obsessed with gherkins. Yes, and Leia, for for context for the readers, when my mum banned gherkins from the house, I think at like age seven or eight, (laughs) Leia brought a huge pickle jar to the house as a birthday present. And when I opened the birthday (laughs) present, and I went, oh my God, Leia, they're beautiful. Like, Leia literally looked at mum and went, they're for her birthday. You have to let her have them. And my mum just burst out laughing and she's like, fine, have your your blessed gherkins. See, Leia delivered me my illicit gherkin. <laughs> oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> we never did. We still like, oh, do you remember Leia and the gherkin? <laughs> Mum's like, that's a true friend. <laughs> Chocolate or coffee? Oh, coffee. <laughs> what coffee, kind of coffee. music stirs your creativity? Oh, um, so many musics. Nina Simone, Cinnamon, got a really nice rhythm to it. Love that song. (laughs) (laughs) What feeds your creative soul? Love. That's corny, isn't it? That's really corny. Perfect. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And finally, what does creativity mean to you? Ah, um, I think, oh God, I think creativity means to create, you know, it means to actually make something, um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think that's, I think that's a key element is I feel so sorry for people when they say, oh, I keep talking about doing something and, you know, I've not done it yet because um, I know what that trap feels like. I've been there so many times. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons I love PR because it forces you to just get on with it and just to create, create, create. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, creativity means to create, um, keep making stuff um, any any which way you can. Like you might just have a sandwich in a picnic, a sandwich in a park, you know call it call it a picnic make it something <laughs> you know it could be anything like you could create anything out of anything yeah I love that I love that because it's one thing to have the idea and another to actually manifest it which is why I call this podcast the creative manifestation podcast so thank you so much for ending with that comment that's beautiful yeah no problem no problem yeah I I do love the title of that um of of your podcast actually because um I think sometimes people who are creative 
we need reminding. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Maria. This has been such a treat and I could have really talked with you for twice as long. I know. I could have talked with you. I feel like I talked a lot about myself, but I... Well, that's uh... the point. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks so much for having me on. Um, it's been so much fun.